I'm grateful for the revival that we had and that effort meeting. And <clears throat> here in a little while, I'll share with you a text message that Brother Stotler sent that was uh, uplifting, encouraging, and expressing his gratefulness to the church. And I want to share that with you here in a little while. Uh, but as much as I was encouraged by that meeting, um, I've been a little discouraged lately. Uh, not not spiritually, uh, from, from that standpoint, but I'm just discouraged about the state of our society. I've um, had different chances to be exposed to some things, and um, I've been trying to sort through them and um, consider, as a Christian, how do I engage with them? How do I lead my family through them? What is the the, the, the purpose and what is the intent that God would have for, for me amidst this, this society that we see growing darker and decaying right in front of us. And fittingly, uh, here for Father's Day, uh, as I've examined this and tried to uh, work through uh, these situations, what has become evident to me is that as we think about how we can lead against this in, in this society that is among us, that is growing increasingly dark, and uh, this crooked and perverse nation, generation that we'll see uh, here in the book of Philippians, it starts at home. And if it starts at home, and we begin to explore what the, the family is and how the home has been ordered, what we'll see is that it starts with biblical manhood. If you're like me, you look around and you see a crooked and perverse generation. And if you're like me, sometimes when you allow for your eyes to look at it for too long, you get discouraged. And you wonder, oh God, how will we ever to be able to withstand in this evil day? Yeah, but what you will find as you examine that and you look for the answer in the Scriptures is that you will indeed find that He has given us the instruction that we would require that we can, in fact, stand in this evil day. We see that in Ephesians chapter 6 about the whole armor of God and leading up to what Paul writes about the whole armor of God. He says this, he says, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. He said, when you come to the end of it, when you question whether or not you're going to be able to stand within this evil day, keep standing. And he explains how we can stand suited up in the armor of God, prepared for the warfare that is in front of us. But men today, I want you to know that if in fact we are going to be able to withstand, if we're going to be able to engage in this warfare, one that is spiritual, not carnal, but is spiritual, we must understand and become what it means to be a man according to the Scriptures. So I want to look at that today. And as we do, I want you to know our example of manhood. There are some wonderful men that we read about in the Scriptures. You can read about Abraham and you can read about his children. We can read about Moses. We can read about Daniel. We can read about David, a man whose Scripture tells us was after God's own heart. We can read about Paul and we can read about Peter and we can read about Timothy, the young man, and Titus. But the measure of a man is not all of those wonderful saints of God. The measure of a man, our example of manhood is Jesus Christ Himself. Do you believe that? 
That our example of what it means to be a man is Jesus. So I want to look at that here today. Christ, our example of manhood. Philippians chapter 2, begin reading with me at verse 1. It says, If there be therefore any consolation, any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your, work out your own salvation salvation with fear and trembling for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure do all things without murmurings do all things without complaining and without disputings that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, if I be offered, that is, if I be poured out as a drink offering upon the several things that I want us to look at as we explore this idea of manhood. You'll note as we are reading there in verse uh, verse 5, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That should turn our attention to the things that Paul was writing about what it means or what it looks like for us to take on the mind of Christ. As Christians, if there's anything that we should be seeking after in life for us to obtain, it is to obtain to the mind of Christ. It is to be apprehended, not us to apprehend, but for us to be apprehended by the mind of Christ. That we would be learn to think like Him and to reason like Him, stand like Him, so that we can look upon this world and judge rightly how it is that we should behave and how it is that we should make decisions and what it is that we should do. We should be looking that we can understand like Christ, that we can act like Christ. I think sometimes we look at Christianity and we say, well, there's so many rules. I have to behave this way and I can't do that, but I have to do this or all these sorts of things. Listen, if that's what you think Christianity is, you have a misunderstanding of it. Christianity instead is that our hearts would long and seek and desire after Christ. That our thinking would become likened to His thinking. So that we're not following rules, but we're following Jesus. And as we follow Christ, and as our hearts are set upon Him, and as we begin to think like Him, and understand like Him, and reason like Him, 
Our decisions aren't made by rules. Our behavior isn't trying to align with rules. But instead, what we are doing is following after the nature of Jesus. He apprehends our minds. And so when we come to the choice of how we're going to act or what it is that we're going to do, we're not trying to uphold some rule list. But instead, we're acting in accordance with the mind of Christ. Do you see the difference in those things? I think I've shared with you before, when it comes to our home, the decisions Tiffany and I make, most of the time we don't have to discuss what decision needs to be made. Because we have our values, we have the things that we uphold as being most important. And when we let those things govern our lives, most of the times the decisions are easy. Right? Why? Because we have determined that we're going to model our lives after Jesus. And in accordance with that, anything that doesn't align with who He is, we don't do. It doesn't take a rule list for us to try to observe those behaviors, but instead, we seek to have the mind of Christ. Man, you're looking at me and you're saying, what's this have to do with manhood? And the answer is everything. Men, you cannot begin to scratch the surface of what it means to be a biblical man until you know Jesus Christ. That's that's the foundation of everything else. Yes, you might be able to obtain to masculinity because God has designed you with testosterone. Yes, you might be able to reach to the things that others would look at and say, well, that is a good man. But I want you to know there is none good. No, not one. Jesus tells us. And so if you are going to come to know anything that is good, it will be through Jesus Christ. And so when Paul exhorts us to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, we should turn our attention to what that means. Listen to what he says. He says that we be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. He says that we would be able to practice and to foster unity. Now, men, this is the first thing that we see would begin to get counter to what what worldly manhood starts to look like. Normally, you see worldly manhood, and it seems as though it is something that is just brash and and making decisions left and right as though we are, are, are kings of our own domains or something like that. But did you hear what this mind was that was in Christ Jesus? It is to pursue after a unity of mind. To be like-minded. That if you're going to lead your home well, men, listen, it would be that you'd be leading your children, leading your wife, leading your family towards that same mind that has apprehended you in Christ Jesus. That there'd be a unity in your home that doesn't flow because there's a, 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 a physical fear, a worldly fear that your family has in you, but a godly fear and a reverence that all of you share for Jesus Christ. You see that? Men, you want to be a biblical man. It begins first with a relationship with Jesus Christ and it extends to having a godly reverence. A godly fear of the Lord. Men aren't supposed to be afraid. I'm not afraid of my dad. But I have a reverence for him. My earthly father. Why? Because I respect him. He is my dad. He has taught me and helped me and loved me throughout all my life so I have a right respect and reverence for Him. And so I do my Heavenly Father. 
I have a reverence for him, a fear for him that is careful then about how I act and how I behave that I might make the family name proud. You know, I started a new job recently and so I get asked the question a lot, Derek, do you pronounce your last name Mobley or Mobley? And I say, listen, I'm not going to get upset with however you call me, but I want you to know my family name is Mobley. Why? Because that's the name my dad gave me. That's the name that his dad gave him and his dad gave him. And I'm seeking to make that family name good and to mean something. How much more so than our heavenly name, our heavenly father, that we would seek to make good that name. We'll talk more about that name here in a minute. But he goes on and says, Let nothing be done through strife or through vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Men, listen to me. Our lives, if lived rightly according to biblical manhood, will be lived in service to others. To God first. To our spouses second. To our children third. And to all the others that we administer to after that. Man, listen to me. If you're living according to biblical manhood, you will go to sleep each night absolutely exhausted. Why? Because your life has been lived serving others. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. It says, let nothing be done through strife or through vainglory, but in a lowliness of mind, in humility, each esteeming each better than themselves. You see why this service takes place? It's not a service that is done out of some obligation to another. It is a service that is done out of an esteem, out of a respect for someone better or more so than yourselves. That you esteem your spouse more than you do yourself. And as a result of that, you seek to show and to pour out love towards her. You love your children even more than yourself. So you seek to give yourself to them and to pour out your life into them. You desire to esteem others better than yourself all the time. It says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I have seen people trying to obtain to an earthly kingdom. And the problem with that is that when a man tries to obtain his own kingdom and they try to uplift themselves as kings of their own domains, they quickly fall. Why? Because what they are trying to obtain to is something where they would esteem themselves, esteem what they have more so than others. Listen, our scriptural precedent, our scriptural mandate is to seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Listen, I have met people that are blessed beyond measure. And as I begin to talk to them, I begin to realize how they have purposed their life. It is no surprise to me how the Lord has poured out blessings upon them. Why? Because they look to those things. They say, all that I have is purpose for the kingdom of God. They say, it's not mine. But instead, it is just something that God's given me to manage as I will look upon the affairs of others. Isn't that wonderful? Such a beautiful picture of what it is to to, to steward what God has graciously bestowed upon us. What did Jesus look for in His life? 
Have you heard what Jesus said one time? He says, the foxes have dens, they have holes. And the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. What did Jesus say when He was about 13 years old? You remember that story? The best that we can tell, He was probably about 13 years old. His parents had had lost track of Him one day. They were in the city and they looked around and, and Jesus wasn't there anymore. Anybody ever had that? One of your kids get away from you, you lose track of them, and, and I mean, that moment you can't catch your breath, can you? I mean, can you imagine Mary and Joseph? This is the Son of God, and you've lost him. And so they're trying to figure out where he was at. Do you, do you remember where he was? He was in the temple. Do you remember what he was doing there? He was reasoning with the elders that were among them. And, and finally Mary comes, they find Him, and I'm sure they're saying, Jesus, you, you scared us to death. Why did you leave? Where did you go? What were you doing? What was Jesus' response? He said, do you not know that I am to be about my Father's business? And so it is, as we celebrate Father's Day, that we should be about our Father's business. That is what we look to and express when it comes to biblical manhood. But as we, we look further into this, we're going to get into some of these other verses here in just a second. But I, I want to, to examine this a, a little bit further. And I, and I want to be careful as I do this because there's so much that we could try to look to and could, could try to say that would just be unfounded. Because when we think about biblical manhood, or we think about what manhood should look like, I think there's a tendency to try to think, well, biblical manhood should look like what, what manhood was in the, the 1950s. Do you know what took place in the 1950s? A generation when people look back and say, you know, things were just so much better then. But they forget that that was also the, the, the decade where, where we saw... I'll be careful how I position some of this stuff here with, with little ones. But we saw a revolution beginning to, to take place in America sexually and in other ways. So let's be careful that we try to say, well, it looks like this or it looks like that. Our biblical example of manhood is not to try to rewind to some previous decade. It is to try to look at what it means to be a man according to the Scriptures. And so what does that look like then? I want to read one verse to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Man, I want to tell you first today that the will of God for men is that we should be mature men. We are not to be grown-up boys. I want you to know that I am not seeking to raise children. I am seeking to raise adults. That my kids would become godly men and godly, or a godly man, I guess I should say, and godly women. If you're trying to raise children that they are children when they reach adulthood, what you are producing is just grown-up boys and grown-up girls. So we should seek that we be raising men and raising women and raising godly men, biblical men and godly women and biblical women. So as we celebrate Father's Day, let's consider what it means to be a biblical man. What it means to be not just any old man, but to be God's man. Let's first consider what it is not. Because it is not the, the world's man. 
And I don't want to get lost in this too much. But I want you to know this morning, and, and, and young men especially, here's some of the things I need to tell you. Biblical manhood does not look like the video game addicted, phone tied manhood we see today. You know, I know some adult males that play a lot of video games. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know how they have time. I'm so busy with the affairs of life that I have a responsibility to as a man that I, I just simply wouldn't have the time, even if I wanted to do those things. You know what Paul said about some of this? He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He was talking about love and he was giving an example about how we will mature in love until we know the perfect love of Jesus in heaven. And he said this towards the end of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. He said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. All of my tendencies were as you would expect for a child to be. He said, but when I became a man, I put away the things of a child. But there was a mark where it wasn't being a child anymore. But instead, it was to step into maturity and manliness. Biblical manhood does not look lazy. It does not look foolish. Biblical manhood is not the punchline of a joke. What has taken place in society today is that men are, are made the punchline of jokes. And if you turn on the, the network sitcom, what you're going to find is that the, the, the dad or the husband is kind of the, the, the butt of all the jokes or the punchline of all the jokes. And it, then it used to be that way. It used to be that the, the, the man, the, the husband, the, the, the father was the one solving the issues for the family or solving the issues for the children. But now it's the one who is catching all the, all the, all the slack and getting all the, the jokes. Ladies, let me say this to you. Don't demasculate your husbands. Encourage them, help them to be a man. What's, what, Derek, what are you saying? You're throwing words out there that I don't understand. Don't make your husband the punchline of all the jokes. Don't tell your husband that, that he's not mature enough to make those decisions. Help him. Encourage him. Strengthen him to be the leader of your home that God has called him to be. We need biblical men and we need them desperately. And ladies, God has called you as biblical spouses to be a helpmeet, a counterpoint of aid for your husbands that they can assume and do well in the role that God has called them to in leading your home. And I want to make that point abundantly clear. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's okay. I want to make that point abundantly clear. Men, God has called you to be a leader. You say, well, Derek, I'm just not a leader. Listen, your role in your workplace, maybe you're not. Your role in the circle of friends that you have, maybe you're not. Your role in church, maybe you're just a layman or whatever it is, that's fine. But in your home, God has called you and expects you to be a leader. That is the order that has been set up in the home. Didn't you hear what Paul told Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 3. He said that one who desires the office of a bishop 
He's talking about what it means to be able to obtain to the highest office in the Lord's church. And he said, here's the qualifications. And sometimes as a result of that, we think those are just the qualifications of a preacher. Listen, those shouldn't be viewed as just the qualifications of a preacher. Those should be esteemed as things that all men... Preachers, non-preachers, deacons, non-deacons, whether you've just got saved or you've been saved a long time, those things should be esteemed as, as targets for us to obtain to as a man. And one of the things that Paul told Timothy, he said that the, the, a bishop, an overseer, a leader, should be one that rules his home well. Men, you're expected by God to be the leader of your home. You've been called by God to lead your home. You will be judged by God about how well you led your home. You're a leader. We're going to talk more about that in a second, but we need to lead and to lead well. Being a man is not exemplified by timidness or cowering. You ever heard that, that expression that when the going gets tough, the tough get going? That should apply to what it means to be a man. When there is crises unfolding, when there are things that are taking place that, that seem as if the world's falling apart around you, your family should be able to look to you and see your courage and your bravery that when around you it seems the sky is falling, you are standing there and you're saying, nevertheless, God, we're going to follow after you. That your children, that your wife can look to you and say, there's my husband, the one who is leading my home. And feel safe and secure, though the sky around them be falling. You remember back that the morning that my daughter got saved started with a scare at her house where we thought someone was breaking in. And I'll tell you, in that moment, all I knew to do was to go downstairs and confront whatever was there. Didn't think about it. Didn't consider what I might be getting myself into. For all I knew, I could have turned that corner and been shot dead. But if that was the case, so be it, because I was the leader, and I am the leader and the protector of my home. I didn't have to stop and, and try to work up some courage or some bravery. It was, no, this is what's required of us, of me, of a man in that moment. Men, are you able and capable with courage to do that? That's, that's probably a poor example. But we can look to the, the scriptural examples. Even young Rudy boy David standing up against Goliath. Moses leading the children of God. Daniel refusing to eat the king's meat. We have example after example of manly courage. Biblical courage in the scriptures. Men, we are not to be timid or cowering. We're not to be double-minded. We're not to be weak. We're not to be deceitful. Being a biblical man is not a go with the flow, don't rock the boat, get tossed to and fro with every type of thing either. Biblical manhood is steady and it is consistent and it is rock solid. Why? Because it has been established, not upon the sand, where the waves come up and crash and pull the sand back out into the sea. 
It's not been established upon the, the, the loose stubble of the earth where we see that the wind comes and it just blows around wherever it goes. But it's been established upon the rock, upon a foundation of Jesus Christ so that it is that a biblical manhood is steady and consistent no matter what is befalling in life. What do you see in Jesus Christ? He lived a life of consistency. Yes, He was perfect and without spot, without blemish when when we look to, to His righteousness. But even beyond that, in His relationships, He was steady and dependable all the time. Remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus has died and they come and get Jesus and Jesus tarries a little bit. And he gets there and, and I mean, his sisters are just, just upset. Jesus, if you had been here, he would have died. Yet you've taken all this time. And we see that Jesus wept. He had a love for his, his friend Lazarus. Did Jesus tarry because he was lazy or because he was late getting there or not dependable? Of course not. We know instead that he tarried that there might be evidence of the power of God. Work through Jesus Christ. Work through the Son of God. Work through the the man of God to raise Lazarus from the dead. There is a consistency in the biblical man. Man, listen. If you're up, down, and all over the place, here a little, there a little, going this way, going that way, and ungrounded, you're doing manhood wrong. Biblical manhood should be steady and consistent. Why? We'll talk about that why in a minute. Let me say this. Biblical manhood is not effeminate or feminine. You might say, Derek, what, what's that got to do with anything? You know what the word feminine means? It means of or relating or pertaining to the qualities of a woman. Masculinity means of or or related to or pertaining to the qualities of a man. And as a result of that then, a man shouldn't be one who's found to have a lot of things in common with femininity. Why? Because those are the qualities of a woman. Instead, they should be found with the qualities of a man, of what it means to be masculine. Now, I need to answer a couple of things here. One, you have probably heard all this discussed lately about toxic masculinity. And I want to address this for a second. Now let me tell you this. Biblical manhood is masculine. But biblical manhood is not misogynistic. It is not having anger and a disrespect and a hatred for women. That is what has corrupted the idea of masculinity in which it has been perceived as toxic. As biblical men embracing right masculinity, we should be teaching and showing the world what it looks like to love a woman what it looks like to love our wives, what it looks like to love our little girls and to raise them up to know a strong dad and what that looks like so that they can look for that in a spouse. And let me say this, young ladies, and I know some of you have not always had good father figures in your life. So let me tell you this. I want you to look around right now in this place to the people that you would count on as as biblical men that you know you could go to with questions, that you can know you could go to when, when you, you need something, when you need someone you can depend upon. And I want you to look at that person or those people. And from this point forward, 
Any young boy, any young man that tries to get your attention, that wants to court you, that's the way I prefer to call it, wants to date you, don't do it unless you see that they can be that man that you're thinking of. Young ladies, don't waste your time with little boys. Okay? Young men, don't waste your time with little girls. Look for a godly man to be your spouse, young ladies. Young men, look for a godly woman to be your spouse. And you say, well, Derek, right now I'm 18 and all these other 18-year-old girls are not godly women yet or they're not godly men yet. And you're right. So instead, be looking at them and saying, do they have the qualities or what you would expect to measure up to what you know godly manhood to be? You see that? Look for that. Seek to measure that. And more I could say, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Well, let me also say this. The Bible makes very clear that there is a difference in the sexes. And yes, I said sexes. I don't fool around with the word gender to compare men and women. Nouns have gender. Adult males and adult females have a sex. And I think what's happened is that we're so immature anymore and we're so uncomfortable with using the word sex to define whether it's a man or whether it's a woman that we've used the word gender instead. And it's led down a road now where society has messed it all up so that they don't know up from down or down from up. Let us stand upon the bedrock core principles of what Scripture says. Male and female created He then. And I will stand upon that from henceforth till forever, no matter what it means I might have to suffer in life. Why? Because it is the biblical truth that God created men and He created women. So let us not fool around with, with what the world has made to, to a problem that should not have been a problem in the first place. Men and women had different roles in the garden. They were given different curses when they were expelled from the garden. And the Scriptures speak plainly about the differences in men and the differences in women. We see the Scriptures prescribing an order in the relationship of a husband and a wife and of the family relationships based upon the differences in men and women. I know it seems so elementary in principle to us to understand that there's a difference in men and women. But I want you to know that Satan is at work in society to attack this basic principle. And so we must be careful, one, to know it and to stand upon the truths of Scripture, and two, to instill in our children that no matter what they might be tossed about with in this life, that they can stand on the concrete truths of Scripture concerning manhood and womanhood. You know what I said earlier about manhood? A biblical man is to be consistent and steady, not just going with the flow and getting tossed about with the wind, whichever way the wind's blowing. Do you know why that is? 
That verse I read a little bit ago in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. The very next verse. It says that we must not be children anymore so that we're not tossed about with every wind of doctrine, with every slight of man. Listen, biblical manhood means to be consistent so that we can stand upon the truths of Scripture. And if society comes blowing against us, trying to convince us of some other false truth, that we can stand against it and say, No! Here's what the Scriptures say. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Biblical manhood is to stand on the principles of Scripture all the time. Manhood doesn't look like a child. If you're still doing childish things, men, you need to stop them. You need to stop them. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that you can't have fun and tell jokes. But it does mean that if there are childish things that are pulling you away from the responsibilities that God has called you to, you need to do away with them. Full stop. You need to do away with them. You'll note that I said men are not to be lazy. I believe that men are to be providers for their homes. Men are to work. Sometimes that work looks different at different times in people's lives and in different phases in people's lives. We have a brother who's about to retire. Excited for him. But I want you to know, though he may be entering into retirement, I am certain that he's not going to stop working. His work will just take on a a different look and a different feel. There are others who can't work as we would consider it from a secular standpoint by by reason of, of health or reason of other issues. Yet you'll still not see them be lazy if they're following after biblical manhood. They're applying themselves to other service that they can do even if their health won't allow them to work in the ways that others would expect them to or think that they would. Men are not to be lazy. And I want you to know something about this. Did you know a biblical man's responsibility to work didn't come as a result of sin? It was in the garden before man fell. Don't you remember why God put man in the garden? It was to tend to the garden. It was to work in the garden. When man fell, that work became toil. It became laborious. It became difficult. But man has always been designed by God to work. And even more so, did you know that the biblical standard of that work, God believes it and upholds it so much so that the Scriptures teach that if you don't work, you're not going to eat? Biblical men are expected to work. To not be lazy. I worry about that in an upcoming generation. I'll just be honest with you, young men. You're going to need to prove me wrong on that. Show me that you're not lazy. Show me a willingness to work. Work hard. There's nothing more satisfying than working hard. And there's nothing where you'll find more joy in feeling exhausted and tired than knowing that you've been working to provide for your loved ones and for your family. I need to hurry. Let me say this though. What this means to be a man. Brother Gary Smith was telling me a story the other day and I forget if it was about Jordan or Haley, Brother Gary. But he's telling me a story about how he was working with them one day and they made a snowman. 
And they finished that snowman, and I think they put a scarf around that snowman and a hat and all. And I forget which one of his grandkids it was, but they looked up at that snowman, fully expecting it to come alive. They were expecting Frosty. And so they stared up at it, just waiting for this thing to come alive. Listen, that, that's the, the childhood belief, isn't it? But to be a man means that we're not going to be tossed about with these wind of doctrines and the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby others lie in wait to deceive. Men don't believe and make believe. You know that? But instead, they are adults that stand upon the truths and beliefs and understandings of those things that are real and those things that are true. And if you don't, you're going to become tossed about like a little child, believing things that are of far more significance and consequence than I guess it was little Haley, judging by how Brother Gary was looking at her, looking up and believing Frosty was going to come alive. You see that? Let us be men. How much time we waste, men, with frivolous things like video games, apps on our phones, entertainment, and how much stronger our families would be, how much stronger our churches would be if we are applied ourselves instead to the calling and responsibility of God that have been given to us as men. I'm calling you today. Make no, make no bones about this. I'm calling you today, men of faith church, to biblical manhood. Are you willing to step up and apply yourself to that biblical manhood? <laughs> I want to tell you something I wrote down in my notes here. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. But here I wrote, suck it up, buttercup. I don't know if that's in the King James Version or not. But I'll tell you what Paul told the first Corinthians, told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians. He said, act like a man. Be a man. The world is desperate for men. I don't know where they went, but they're not around anymore. The world needs to see men and strong men. We had a, a great neighbor the other day getting back to some of the scriptures we read here in the book of Philippians about watching over the, the affairs of another, watching over the things of another, even more so than you'd watch over your own. We had a great neighbor a couple of years ago named Terry. And, and Terry had struck up a relationship with, with Betty and she'd walk back and forth. His house was between ours and hers. And, and so she started to know her. And one night Betty's leaving our house and she stumbles over the curb and she falls. And I saw her fall and I run out there. But by the time I got there, Terry had already came running to help her as well. Now Terry didn't know Betty hardly at all, but he dropped what he was doing for a stranger to run out and help a little old lady who had fell in the street. Now you say, well, Derek, what's that have to do with anything? I don't know if you've heard the stories on the news lately or the accounts that you've heard on the news lately, but what we've heard is about a lot of men that will sit and watch awful things happening and not do anything about it. Listen, the biblical man sees injustice being done to someone, sees someone being harmed, and they go to it and they stand up. And they stop it. Or they'll die trying. I won't get in. I don't want to preach news stories. It's not what I'm interested in doing. But it just has sickened me to my stomach some of the things that you'll see. People more likely to stand around and stand around and, and, and 
take cell phone videos of these things happening than being men and, and putting a stop to it. From subway trains in, in New York City to the, the thing that ha- the, the situation in Texas that was so heart wrenching a couple weeks ago. We need men. And it should start with Christian men restoring what it means to be a biblical man. Don't you remember what Jesus told the account of the, the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan? Even though the cultures would have said that that man should have kept on walking, what did he do? He went, not only did he help him, but he went above and beyond to make sure he was cared for even beyond the time that he was there with them. The world is desperate for biblical men. I, by no means, will be able to exhaust this topic today. But I I do need to say a couple of things here as as we wrap up. I'll try to keep it to two things. Later on, this passage of Scripture we read about Paul talking about how he was ready to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice. Men, it is in a similar fashion that our lives should be poured out for our wives and for our children. In fact, I had told Brother Jeff earlier that I had thought about stopping this morning and getting a couple of cups and, and physically showing in front of you how a man should be pouring out his life for his wife and pouring out his life for his children so that at the end of the day, his cup's empty. And he's exhausted. And he's trusting and counting and relying upon the Lord to fill him back up so that the next day he can wake up and do it all over again. Men, are you willing to pour out your life for your children? Are you willing to pour out your life for your wife? Before that, Paul said that we should do all things without murmurings and disputings. Men, listen to me. Some of the whiniest people I know in the world are grown men. We are not to be whiners. You know how I whine sometimes? Listen to this. I'll do something that should just be the most ordinary, mundane thing a man would do. I'm like, hey, honey, did you see I took out the trash? I'm not saying I'm the world's greatest man or anything, but I took out the trash. That's me whining. Did you know that? Me saying, hey, look at me. Just want you to know, I took out the trash. I'm whining about my responsibility of having to take out the trash. Men, suck it up. Take out the trash for the glory of the Lord and to serve your family and get on with it. Let us no longer be complainers. Complaining about... You hear men sit around sometimes, well, the old ball and chain. Well, the old the wife. i got to call the wife. You've, talk, you've heard me talk about that. It, it just drives me crazy. Why? Men, if, if, listen, if your wife is such an intolerable woman, you should first examine yourself. Can't say amen. You gotta say ouch. Brother Corey, you didn't say ouch, did you? <laughs> he said something. Got a little worried for him. <laughs> but you shouldn't. You should be looking instead that you might be the one who is washing your wife by the word of God. Tending to her, helping her, encouraging her. And wives, you should be doing the same things for your husbands. 
helping them to lead your home, encouraging them to lead your home. And wives, every now and then, your husband does need an attaboy. When they, when you see them start looking for it, you know they need it. <laughs> and sometimes, wives, your husbands, they're exhausted. And they need some time to go out and do whatever it is that they do to, to, to decompress, to, to experience the Lord in recreation. They can come back recharged to serve the family. Whether that's to, to go out and to, to hunt or to go play golf or to, to go shoot guns, whatever it is you do as a man, whatever that thing is that you do that is restoring to you, sometimes wives, your men, need you to come to them and say, why don't you go do this? Go. I'll be here. Bring something back. <laughs> but go. Men, it also says to do all things without disputing. That means without debating or without arguing. Men, we are not to be argumentative. And that's challenging sometimes. <clears throat> because if you're like me, most of the time you think you're right. And so you have this tendency, and, and here's the thing as a man, and I, I'm going so long here, guys. Just stay with me just a little while longer. Here's the thing about being a man and why we become argumentative sometimes. is you see, we have this natural thing that's instilled in us as a man in which our voices are a little bit deeper than our wives. And so as a result of that, when we raise our voices, we can drown them out more, can't we? Why? Because our voices are a little deeper. We can get a little more stern, can, can, can get out, raised to a greater octave than they can sometimes. And so as a result of that, we get into these arguments and we become belligerent in them as though we're able to prove our point because our voices are deeper. But the biblical man, he doesn't seek to win arguments. He seeks that he might lead his home well. And when there is a situation where there's disagreement in his home, he seeks that by reason and my understanding, they might be able to come to some understanding of the situation in which there is agreement. Not by argument, but through wisdom. Do you see the difference? We had some great counseling Tiffany and I did before we got married. Uh, Brother Barry Armour, Elder Barry Armour was the one who, who did our ceremony and he counseled with us beforehand and, and he gave us some great advice. I've told this story before, I know, at least to the young people. And he told us that anytime we got into a disagreement, that whatever we were disagreeing about, to, to put it in a chair in front of us and just to spend all of our energy trying to fix whatever was in the chair. And the reason why that was such valuable advice is that it keeps the situation to what it is. We're trying to come to a place of understanding and agreement on this issue or on this topic. We're not trying to win arguments. Men, do you see the difference? Because men, if all you're trying to do is win arguments with your spouse, you're just going to run yourself ragged. Because most time, wife is going to sit there and all of a sudden she's going to say something and you're going to realize you're wrong. You'll save yourself a lot of headaches. Come to the right understanding and reason. I must tell you this story. I've told it before, I'm sure. That situation backfired us on us just one time. We'd been married a couple months and we were having a disagreement about something. I came to my wife. I said, honey, what's in the chair? She looked me square in the eyes. She said, you are. <laughs> it's not foolproof, but it works most of the time. Men, what I'm trying to tell you today, what I'm trying to call you today, is to a manhood that looks different than the manhood of the world. The manhood of the world has gotten so twisted up and mangled and messed up 
that you can't quite understand the difference between it and the role of a woman. And it shouldn't be that way. We should desire that we would be men that society looks at us and say, there is a man. They see us walking down the street and they say, there is a man. They see us out to the stores with our spouse and they say, there is a man. I can tell by how he is loving his spouse. I can tell by how he's loving his children. There is a man. I can tell because of how he walks around. He walks around with his back a little straighter. He walks around with his, his shoulders back a little bit. He's ready to take on the world. There is a man. But instead today, what you see is a lot of guys my age kind of bent over like this because they spent too much time playing video games. They're walking around like this because their wives are all the time barking at them and nagging at them and they just are, are, are just so, so sad to look at. Man, stiffen up your back a little bit. Roll your shoulders back. Go home tonight. Have an honest conversation with your wife. Maybe you need to apologize to her for not leading the home the way that you should have in the past. Maybe you need to look her in the eye and say, Honey, from now on, I'm going to step up into the role to which God has called me, and I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to lead our children, and I'm going to lead us well. And men, if you're going to do that, Paul told the church at Corinth, he said this, he said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Husbands, you can only follow, or you can only lead your children so long as you're following Jesus. You can only lead your wives well so long as you're following Jesus. Didn't you hear in the midst of this passage of Scripture that I read here in the book of Philippians what he said? He said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Did you see all the things there about Jesus that I've just spent time describing? about His humility, about His obedience, about how He served, how He took on the form of a servant. And then in verse 9 it says this, says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen to me, young men. Men that have not, that, that have never been saved, that don't know the Lord. If you want to lead your family well, if you want your last name that you would give to your children to be a name that would be, people would look to and say, that's the name of that man. That's the name of the one who led his home well. That's the name of the one who taught his children to love the Lord. You're going to first find it. By bowing to this name. By bowing to the name of Jesus. He is a primary example of manhood. He is our primary bellwether for what it means to be a man. He is our measuring stick. He is the one to whom the Scriptures tell us that we would come into the measure of the stature of the fullness of man. Men, we need to be men because the Gospel depends upon it. Faith church depends upon it. Our families, 
depend upon it. Our society depends upon it. Listen, unless the men, the real men of our nation stand up, we're just going to see this decay continue. Didn't you hear what Paul said about it? In this crooked and perverse generation, we might shine as stars, as lights in this darkness. Men, I'm calling you today to not mess around anymore with what it means to be a man according to the world standards, but to be a biblical, Christ-like man. I thank you for listening to me. Something on your heart.